Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, December 22nd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking college sports today with our beat writers, and there's plenty to discuss. We start with Kansas, which plays its second Big 12 game tonight, this time against West Virginia at Allen Fieldhouse. Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore break down the game against uh, ranked teams, and Gary brings us up to speed on the Jayhawks' latest hoop commitment. Soichi Tirada, who covers Mizzou, tells us who will and won't be playing for the Tigers in their bowl game against Iowa next week. Also, the nationally ranked Tigers have a big basketball game tonight against Bradley. Kansas State got some good news over the weekend when quarterback Skylar Thompson, who missed the majority of the season with an injury, announced he was returning. We get the update from Kellis Robinette. So let's get started talking college sports. Gary Bedore and Jesse Newell cover Kansas sports for the Star and Wichita Eagle, and they are leading off today's college show, college palooza show. You know, it's, uh, it occurred to me that, you know, at Christmas time, it usually kind of winds down um, for, for a little while, right? Just temporarily. But already we've got conference basketball games going on before Christmas and players having to decide whether to return or not. So, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the the schedule around for a lot of things and it has for college sports. So here we are on December 22nd and Kansas has its second league game tonight. It's a big one. West Virginia coming to Allen Fieldhouse. So, hey, Gary, lead us off. Tell us about um, uh, what is two ranked teams again, right? Kansas coming off a Texas Tech victory and now West Virginia comes into um, comes into Lawrence. What is the uh, what is this West Virginia team about except for being really good? They're 7 and 1 like KU they lost to Gonzaga. Uh, they've got two bigs that are good, Derek Culver and Oscar. I forget how Sheboy. Yeah. Sheboy, I think. Yeah, I have to think about it a lot. <laughs> but they also have decent guards. Uh, their leading scorer is Miles McBride. Self was saying that uh, they still pressure. They usually don't do it as much when they come down Fieldhouse. But uh, they. the weird thing is they only beat what's supposed to be a weak Iowa State team by four or five on Saturday. So... That was in Morgantown. Not that the home court matters anymore, but uh, people are wondering if they still have their same old problems of shooting. Um, Self would get mad at that, and now they'll hit a million threes tonight. But (laughs) right, uh, it should be interesting because do you do you play your bigs and try to match Culver and Oscar, or do you? go with the guards most of the game and just try to to do it that way. That's the question, isn't it, Jesse? It is. I hate talking about this like right before the game because I figure most people are going to hear this after the game's over and they're going to be like, oh, look at the idiot talking about how KU is not going to play big and yeah. sure enough, they didn't play big or they did play big. So, uh, no, it is. Um, Kansas kind of has right now um, a little bit of an identity crisis. They do. You know, they play better with five guards, but they don't have much offense in for five guards. And it's really difficult when Bill Self comes out very frankly before the season and says he believes that David McCormick can be an all-America type player. And then 
uh, he comes out and he's been this bad. And it's really hard to transition from, hey, you could be an All-American to like, hey, I don't really want to play you and don't want you to shoot uh, and do that all in the span of, like you just said, Blair, three or four weeks. So for Kansas, it's sort of difficult. If, if I was Kansas, I would play my best lineup. And, you know, instead of saying, hey, how is how are you going to match up to West Virginia? I'm going to say, how is West Virginia going to guard Jalen Wilson off the dribble? You know, how is Oscar Sheway going to guard Jalen Wilson? And, you know, we see this happen all the time. We can talk this to death before the game. But think about 2018 Kansas versus Villanova. You know what I mean? How is yep. Villanova going to match up to Kansas? Well, how could Udoke Azubuki guard the guys on the perimeter? He couldn't. And Villanova reigned in a bunch of threes, won the game. The game before that, how was KU going to match up to Duke? Because KU had a small lineup. Well, how was Duke going to match up to Kansas? You know, how were they going to guard Svima Kailuk when he hit the big three at the end of the game? They didn't. They had a big man on him, and he got lost. So uh, that's sort of the way that the game is moving. And so for Bill Self, it's it's just a difficult time right now because you want to have those that extra week of practice to maybe put in some new plays and do some more things with your five-guard lineup, but you don't have that yet because you've got all these games crammed in together. So I think KU's five-guard look is its best look. I think it's its best chance against West Virginia, but um, I think Bill Self just knows that most of his playbook is still with that one big in the lineup and he loves his rebounds so um without dave mccormick in there it is going to be tougher for ku to get rebounds and to not completely get annihilated on the glass so it's sort of a security blanket to go back to that one big so yeah that'll be the fascinating matchup tonight and see if dave mccormick can play any better than he has so far because um as of right now yeah it's been very difficult to keep him on the court just with the lack of efficiency he's at offensively and the lack of toughness he's shown defensively a lot of these thoughts are on your quick scout, which is uh, posted uh, on the um, uh, with our story links here, and it's on KansasCity.com right now. Also included in the quick scout is a is a predicted score. I will let the readers go to uh, the link to find how you think this game is going to unfold, Jesse. But one thing that uh, that you wrote that I agree with, and I've thought about is. Um, home court advantage, right? No, not, doesn't seem to be much of a home court advantage because of, uh, um, you know, just because of lack of fans, right? There'll be 2,500 fans at Allen Fieldhouse tonight. But it just seems to me that in a couple games, the one team in the Big 12 that's really have been, been impacted by the home, you know, playing on the road at, uh, at Lawrence is West Virginia. They have, they have lost some big leads in this building and I, some of the best atmospheres that I've ever encountered at Allen Fieldhouse have been Kansas comeback victories over West Virginia. I don't think that's a factor tonight. Yeah, maybe a little bit of one, and I, but I, that's exactly what I wrote in there. It's just it's a little bit different this time. And you think about some of the greatest comebacks that Kansas has had under Bill Self. It's been, yeah, it's been West Virginia at Allen Fieldhouse. And then what happens is the crowd just rises up. You kind of feel that tension, emotion, excitement. And if you're an official, you just can't help but like sort of get involved in the storyline. You know what I mean? And Kansas has benefited from a lot of foul calls late in those games. Obviously, in one of those games, Devontae Graham just went nutso from three. But uh, that's sort of kind of the small edge that you get. You know, hey, you're down 12. You drive the lane. You miss the shot. But, oh, there, there's a late whistle and you get two free throws. You know, those sorts of things aren't going to add up as much here when there's 2,500 down Fieldhouse. Now, I think we saw from the Texas Tech game that – the officials still get plenty wrapped up in the home court advantage with Texas Tech getting six or seven or eight or 100 million charge calls taken uh, in that particular <laughs> game, whether they were legitimate ones or not. So I think it's just a difference of um, magnitude. You know what I mean? Like, does, is Kansas still going to get a home court advantage tonight? Yeah. I mean, are they probably going to get a couple more foul calls than they would somewhere else? 
Probably. Is it a five or six point thing instead of a, you know, two or three point thing? No, it's not that anymore. You know, they might get a couple points, but as, as you just spoke about, Blair, they've needed every bit of help to beat West Virginia in some of these games where they've gotten behind early. And you just, if KU gets down 18 in the first half in this one, it, it's over. They're not going to come back. I mean, it's just a little bit different. Plus, West Virginia is not fouling as much as it has in other years, so that's going to help them as well. But uh, I, I agree with you. It's just a, a little bit different. And early on in the Big 12 season, I know some of the top teams were playing on the road early, but uh, the home court advantage was basically nothing at all. I could look up the updated stats, but I think that uh, the home team has now won. Yeah, home team has won two of seven games in the Big 12 so far. Again, very small sample, and a lot of that is like, hey, Baylor started on the road, and um, obviously Kansas started on the road, those sorts of things. But um, it, it's probably not going to be the same sort of big, big, big advantage that it can be in years past and definitely has been when West Virginia has come to the field house. That uh, Kansas opponents are more willing to take charges than Jayhawks uh, teams historically will be the subject of another podcast for us, Jesse. Because I want to talk to you <laughs> about that. Uh, I think that's really interesting. But let's 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 we'll save that for another day. I want to get to um, uh, a little bit of recruiting news, Gary. Uh, uh, you reported that uh, KU got a commitment from uh, from the, the who will be the first member of the class of 2022 I'm hoping pronouncing I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right Kyle Cuff I, I think that's how I pronounce it combo guard uh, from the uh, one my favorite school Blair Academy in New yeah. Jersey so hey tell me a little bit about what do we know about him Gary uh, he's 6-2 a combo guard he wants to play point uh I think their school season's been delayed or called off because of COVID. I'm not sure. He's, although uh, he's from New York, maybe it's been called off in New York, but not Blair Academy. But he uh, had a, he's ranked 78th by rivals. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of comparisons to Russell Robinson's recruitment because uh, he his dad went to Rice High School like Russell. He knows Russell. Um, and the list of schools was kind of different. It was not all the blue bloods. It was K-State, Georgia, St. John's, Pitt, A&M, KU. And, uh, he's, uh, he's supposed to be really athletic. An another guy who can jump out of the gym and all that. He actually had an interesting signing video. Usually they're kind of stupid. But they did a <laughs> they did a documentary, a little documentary on him, and it was kind of neat because they went to his grandmother's house, both grandmothers. Uh, they showed how important it is to sign with a blue blood when you're from inner city New York. They uh, interviewed some of his teammates, and when the kid committed, again, usually they're kind of cocky and everything. This kid. You might want to check out the video on Twitter. His face was just so, it sounds stupid, but so joyful. And people were mobbing him. Because, you know, New York City, they think of Kansas as, they don't know where it is, but it's the blue blood of blue bloods, you know, with maybe with the Kentucky and stuff. And it it's really a neat video. about He, he walks around his neighborhood a little bit. And uh, I don't know how he'll do here. But if you watch that video, you kind of you you probably root for him. And Russell is is all of our favorites. He was such a nice is such a nice guy. And this kid seems like the same type of story. Doesn't sound like he'll be a star, but 
everybody says he's in the gym all the time and uh, he could, you know, he could be a rotation player, but he's thrilled to be coming to KU. Russell Robinson, of course, starting guard on the, on the 2008 national championship team. And Hey, look, there's nothing silly about joys this time of year, especially. So I'm going to look forward. I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch that, uh, that video, but right now we're going to take a break. Um, having wrapped up our conversation with Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore, we're going to take a break. When we come back, you will hear from Suichi Tirada, who's going to talk about Mizzou's bowl opponent. And after Suichi, you will hear from Kellis Robinette on Kansas State and the return of Skylar Thompson uh, for next season. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, we're back and now talking to Suichi Tirada, who covers Mizzou. Hello, Suichi. How you doing? Hi, Blair. The regular season is finally over. A very weird season, but uh, we hit the finish line. <laughs> yes, and got in all 10 games. Not every college football program can say they played their full schedule, but Mizzou is one that can and, uh, and finished 5-5. Five and five. They were there was no intrigue about whether they would be a bowl team. They, we knew they were going to be in a bowl game, but when Selection Sunday came uh, a couple of days ago, uh, we, we all sort of had our thoughts. We were looking at uh, other projections and seeing where the, the Tigers could end up. And as it turns out, they they did not end up where I thought they were going to go, which was someplace in Florida. Mm-hmm. And maybe the loss to Mississippi State affected that. What did you hear about? Um, how it shook out for Missouri with its bowl invitation, which is to the Music City Bowl to play Iowa on December 30th. Yeah, Blair, the, the thing is, I think all the projections had them probably going to a Florida Bowl, right? Whether that was the Gator Bowl or the Outback Bowl, most likely. I think I saw the Journalism Bowl, Mizzou versus Northwestern quite yeah, often. Yeah, you, you were stoked about that possibility. <laughs> well, uh, very tongue-in-cheek, I might add. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh Obviously, that didn't end up happening. Mizzou is actually heading to Nashville for the Music City Bowl. And and really, Blair, the, the thing I kind of took away from talking to Jim Sterk and Eli Drinkwitz on that Sunday when after the bowl announcements was that they, they wanted to be in Nashville. They specifically wanted this day, which is December 30th, uh, mostly because they, they really wanted to get their players home for parts of Christmas and in the New Year. So obviously, you can't do that with the January 2nd Bowl. So... That's kind of what I took took away from it. And you got to realize, too, that this year, the bowl selection process is a little bit different. And Jim Sterk talked about that a little bit. Any any non-pandemic year, most of the time, it's, you submit a list of preferences and the bowl committees and, and the SEC usually kind of works with you on that and make sure you get into the bowl that you had on your list. But this year, essentially what happened was 
after the Citrus Bowl took Auburn because Auburn was six and four, the SEC teams were listed by winning percentage. So Mizzou was atop that list because they were 500. And I believe the only other 500 team is LSU. And obviously Mizzou has a tiebreaker over LSU. So because of that, they essentially chose the out, not, excuse me, not the Outback Bowl, but the Music City Bowl, just because of the reasons I outlined about the timing and, and all of these things. And so that's, that's kind of why I think fans were a little bit mad. I always don't quite get why fans are a little mad about a bowl slide and the tears and everything. I always look at it as one, is it a cool city and Nashville? I think is. I know it's a pandemic and everything, but Two, are you playing a good team? And number 15, Iowa certainly fits that bill, which is why, you know, number 15 in the nation, six-game winning streak, that is a very good team, Blair, and I think that's why Mizzou fans should be excited for regardless of uh, roster limitations and a a lot of other things. But that is why Mizzou is in the uh, Music City Bowl. Oh, Suichi, the longer you cover college sports, the more you will learn about uh, uh, it doesn't take much for fans to feel slighted about anything, <laughs> including including their bowl destination. But I totally agree with you. I, I think this is a it's a great city. It's a good bowl. Um, you know, it, it's drivable for anybody who gets gets their hands on a ticket to, to go. So. Um, I'm, and I like the date as well. There's something interesting about that date, isn't there? Uh, we just had a, a huge day in Missouri athletics with the football game against Georgia and the basketball game against Illinois that night. That was, uh, dis, um, uh, what was, I can't remember the date, but it was uh, a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. yeah December 12th. It was, a uh, 12th. That's what it was. Yeah, the 12th. Georgia and Illinois. And then now you got Iowa and Tennessee. Right, got the basketball game against Tennessee that day as well. So football game, I think it kicks off at two thirty, right? And then the basketball game is in the evening. Yeah, it's at eight p.m. at, at, at Mizzou, right? At yep, Mizzou. Yep. So uh, another cool day. But one one player, at least one player, we know will not be accompanying Missouri to the bowl game, and that is linebacker Nick Bolton. Um, we have seen the last of his time in a Missouri uniform and what a time it was what went into his decision not to not to return well Blair he is a projected first round pick so I don't think anybody can really blame him I remember midway through the season we were talking Nick Bolton with the Missouri defensive coordinator Ryan Walters and he kind of made a comment that you know we'd love you back Nick but you know go to the pros go go make your money and everything like that so Nick Bolton has played his last snap of Right tackle Larry Bourne has also played his last snap. Actually, he declared for the NFL draft. So luckily, uh, Mizzou fans will get to see Larry Roundtree the third running back one last time, fresh off that second-team All-SEC pick. He said he will play, and then he'll probably finish his Mizzou career then as he's accepted a senior bowl invite and all that. But yeah, for Bolton, it's, uh, you know that's a big blow. But Mizzou has, you know, they knew, talking to the players and coaches, they knew that this was going to happen, and, and they, they were kind of, no, I won't say they're ready for it, but but I think mentally they were at least ready for it. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out, at least on the field. I'll, I'll certainly miss watching him play because that guy was noticeably good uh, mm-hmm. on the field. And, and uh, I have come around on my thinking on this over the years. This is kind of a new phenomenon, the the, the players opting out of bowl games uh, to to concentrate on on their draft position and their draft shape and all that. At first, when it when it first happened, oh, a decade or so ago, um, I was thinking, oh wow, really? You're going to do that and and you know and turn your back on your teammates, all that stuff. And the more I think about it, the more I've thought about it over the years, the more I absolutely do not blame the player for making this decision. 
Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot at stake for Nick Bolton and others who have made this decision, and uh, a lot of you know their financial future is at stake. And, and a you know a catastrophic injury in a bowl game uh, just doesn't you know don't why risk it? You know, there there there's absolutely no reason to do that. So uh, congratulations on a fantastic college career, and I look forward to seeing him play on Sundays. A uh, little bit of another uh, kind of Mizzou football personnel. Uh, topic. There was a new safety on the field for the Tigers at Mississippi State, and dang, he was pretty good. Blair, I would say a little bit more than pretty good. I would say one of the few bright spots for Mizzou against Mississippi State in that loss, and obviously we're talking about Sean Robinson for any fans who didn't pick that up. The former quarterback who started the first two games, you saw him prowling the secondary. And this was all by design, according to Drinkwitz. He actually said on his radio show that Sean Robb was going to be playing on special teams again because he did that against Georgia. But he was also going to be playing a little bit of safety. And he saw that. And he was kind of everywhere, playing as a dime back. So it wasn't too complicated. Obviously, it's not going to get much more complicated than running an offense as a quarterback. But you saw Sean Robb out there. He finished with five tackles, one of them uh, half tackle for loss. He had a PBU and he also had an interception, which was a really good play. But I don't know if you actually saw the play, but he caused the deflection. Then he kind of one arm, strong armed it into his possession. And then the announcers were like, oh, hold up. Sean Robinson got an interception. And I know it was garbage time and I know it was against the backup and all these things, but I think that was a really cool moment. You know, he was all smiles after the the loss we got to talk to him a little bit and and you know he he was pretty transparent about the idea that you know this was kind of a a struggle for him mentally to accept that i mean you play quarterback your whole life growing up and then your head coach comes up to you you know and and asks and and wonders if you want to be a safety like i'm sure that's kind of a blow especially for for him who you know he he was a really highly recruited quarterback coming out of college i mean high school you know, four-star, top 200 recruit, U.S. Army All-American. He had all these things, but the fact that he stayed on, and I think it was really cool that he said he wanted to play for Mizzou. Uh, you know, he, he had all these things going for him. So it's just one of those stories that you hear and see, and, and you just feel good for the guy just because you, you know he's worked hard and he's earned that he's earned that spot. Yeah, I, I certainly did when I read about it. I did not see the game. <clears throat> uh, kind of got lost in the, you know, playing those games on, college, you know, conference championships, uh, Saturday, but, <clears throat> but I was keeping up with it and I saw where a Robinson had an interception. I'm thinking, wait a second, really? That, that's, <laughs> that was amazing. So good for him. And, um, all right, sweetie, we can't let you go. Uh, look, there's not going to be a lot of lead time going into this Mizzou basketball, uh, nationally ranked Mizzou basketball plays at 6 PM tonight against the Bradley Braves. Um, not necessarily a uh, you know blue blood program, but one that's off to a terrific start this season, and one the Tigers, I'm sure, will respect tonight. Yeah, Blair. If you honestly, if you look at each of Mizzou's opponent, barring one, uh, Prairie View A and M, and that was canceled. Pretty much everyone on that non-con schedule was is a, at the very least respectable. Even Oral Roberts, they were projected to finish, I believe, second in their league. You have Liberty, who specifically runs, you know, kind of a complicated offense that Conzo Martin specifically scheduled and wanted to go up against. And then now you have a Bradley team who has won back-to-back Mountain Valley Conference uh, tournament championships. They were, they were an NCAA team the last two years, obviously not last year with the pandemic. But this is another team, I think, who who is very big up front. Their center is seven foot one. They have a power forward at six eight. They're one of the better rebounding teams in the nation. One of the best in defending field, in two point field goals. 
So, so this is a team that, you know, if, if you're not careful, they will give you a, a fight. They lost on the road at Rain Xavier 51-50 by only one point. So, uh, you know what, Blair, by all indications, you know, Mizzou is going to take this seriously, especially with, with their first game ever since that bragging rights uh, win, you know, however many days ago, it's been a blur. But one day we'll take this seriously. I, I won't be too surprised if they see some rust, but... Man, it's it's you know what, Blair. I do appreciate the fact that Conzo is willing to schedule these you know these tough opponents just because it is a little bit boring watching a sub Ken Palm sub three hundred Ken Palm team come in uh, and and just beat up on them. So it, sh- it should be another game, a uh, good game tonight at uh, Mizzou Arena for the number fourteen ranked Mizzou Tigers. Yeah, how about that? Uh, they're up to fourteen in the polls. They'll keep climbing uh, as they continue to win and. And like I said, we get uh, Tennessee on the, in the SEC opener on the horizon. So, oh. all right, we're going to – hey, uh, what, what, so it's it's on bowl game, right? Um, the, the the 20 is, – is there a game between this uh, Bradley and Tennessee? Uh, no, it's uh, – yeah, they have another long layoff. Conzo gotcha. said he's hopeful to get another game, but just with the schedule. And, uh, Blair, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Iowa football situation. Uh, there's a lot of news to cover in this podcast, but obviously the Hawkeyes are on pause for COVID-19, uh, reported late last night. So just something to keep an eye on. They are planning to regroup. For what it's worth, Mizzou is regrouping on, I believe, either Christmas or the 26th. So it's not like it's not the end of the world uh, for Iowa or the game or anything like that. But just something to keep an eye on. Uh, that uh, yeah. Just another thing in 2020, I guess. Wow, I, I was I was into my windup to throw it to Kellis uh, in Kansas State, and you dropped that uh, piece of information on me. I did not know that. That, <laughs> that. That's really interesting. I'm glad you brought it up, and absolutely, we will keep an eye on the status of of Iowa football with uh, Coach Kirk Friends. So, all right, Suichi, let us throw it to Kellis Robinette and say goodbye to you. Um, thanks for joining us. Have a great holiday season. All right, thanks, buddy, too. Kellis Robinette joins us. Hey, Kellis, how you doing? I'm doing good, Blair. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. I hope it's a good one in the Robinette household. Hey, um, so we're, you know, covering events and and uh, got a lot of things going on over the weekend. And then all of a sudden, this, this tweet pops up on my Twitter timeline. Skylar Thompson says he's coming back. I, I kind of felt that he was, but I wasn't 100% sure. Did that decision surprise you at all? No, kind of the the word behind the scenes in Manhattan for the last couple of weeks has been he was heavily leaning toward coming back. It was more of just a um, question of when he was going to announce he was coming back, coming back more so than is he coming back or not. Um, and I think that happened just because, um, uh, I mean, Will Howard didn't light it up while he while he was off injured, and it, I mean. It, it just seems like Kansas State could really use a veteran quarterback next season, even if they want to still find ways to play Will Howard and incoming quarterback Jake Rubley. They could really use his leadership, and I think everybody could see that, that without him last year, uh, this season I should say, uh, they went from 4-1 and one to 0-5 oh just like that. And a lot of people would say, boy, he was the missing link. If you had him out there on offense, they win two, two maybe even three more games, and all of a sudden things look a whole lot better. So, you know, it's very rare for a quarterback to want to come back for a sixth season. He would, uh, if he ends up starting next year, he'll be a very rare fifth-year starter in the Big 12. Um, But I guess it was just an opportunity that was too good for him to pass up. And, you know, who knows, maybe if he comes back and has a really good season, he could get on the pro radar at some point. 
Right, right. Um, okay, you mentioned the you know what the depth chart's going to look like. There, there'll be talent in you know at the at the position in college football anymore. Though that usually doesn't translate into you know having depth. Usually, one guy leaves or somebody. There's some sort of you know transaction when you have three players at the position at, at that position who could be a starter. Um, so I agree. Skylar Thompson has to come in and start. He was, you know, led him to the victory over Oklahoma. He's the starter, right? He is the starting quarterback. But does that mean Jake Rubley comes in and just says, "Okay, I'll just, you know, abide my time and 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 back, you know, be the backup as as highly rated as he is"? And and uh, Will Howard, does he have a decision to make on on this? How do you see it playing out? Yeah, super interesting. Um, it's a scenario we haven't seen. Uh, I don't think at all in Manhattan uh, since, I mean, shoot, the early Bill Snyder days, maybe. I mean, think about what they're going to have at quarterback next year. They might have the most experienced passer in all college football in Skyler Thompson. I, I can't imagine too many people have started more games than him. You got a freshman or sophomore, whatever you want to call him, and Will Howard, who started seven games this year and showed some signs that he could be the quarterback of the future, even though he did struggle at times as well. And then you got Jake Rubley coming in, who ESPN tabs as the number 25 recruit in the entire nation this year. The most highest, the highest touted guy they've had since Josh Freeman 14 years ago. So it, it's an interesting situation. They're going to have three players. I think everybody wants to see play, and I think they're going to find a way to play all three. I mean, it's just like you mentioned, wow. um, people people don't want to sit behind uh, other quarterbacks for a year. That's just a, a great recipe for somebody to transfer. And I'm not saying it's going to be a quarterback by committee or anything like that, but. You saw the last two seasons, even when Skyler was the unquestioned starter, they found ways to get John Holcomb in there when he was the backup. They found ways to get Will Howard on the field this year before Skyler got hurt. I think they're going to keep doing that, um, if for nothing else, to keep Skyler healthy or at least have an opportunity to keep him healthier. We saw Will How- Howard is a very gifted runner. That was perhaps his best, uh, his best attribute this season. So maybe you find ways to have a package for him next season. And then, you know, Jake, it, it's pretty rare to see three quarterbacks out there, but I bet they could find a package for him too. And that's what's so intriguing uh, about this to me. I've had some K-State fans say that Skyler coming back ends all ends whatever intrigue there was at quarterback. He's the presumptive starter. He's going to take every snap. I, I don't see it that way. I think they're going to find a way to play off three guys, and, and uh, it's, it's a good problem to have, probably better than just having uh, the, the two newcomers. But it's going to be interesting to watch next season for sure. And Skylar Thompson's not the only Kansas State player who announced he was coming back. You know, we we spent so many weeks talking about uh, Kansas State players who were transferring out of the program, but now some players are making a decision to to stay or to come in. So bring bring us up to date on the, the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, so we've had two two key players say they're coming back. Skylar was obviously the big one. That's the the decision everybody was waiting for. But then also uh, Bronson Massey, who started some games at defensive end this season and uh, at times looked like a really good pass rusher, uh, he's going to come back for an extra senior season next year. And I think that's really big for the defensive line because they're, they're going to lose uh, Wyatt, Hubert, Mart, Wyatt Hubert for sure. As a junior, he's going to go on to the NFL draft. And they could really use um, you know, a, a veteran presence on that line, somebody who's proven he can, he can get after the quarterback. And that's what Massey is. He's, he's never truly lit it up. Uh, on the defensive line, but I I think given his experience next year, he could take a nice step forward. And I I suppose we've also seen Bradley Moore say he's going to turn pro. We've seen Harry Trotter say he's moving on. 
Brock Monty and Justin Hughes have all said they're leaving. The key players I think we're waiting on still are Noah Johnson at center, who if I had to guess, I think he'll come back, but he's also a, a veteran too. So you never know what's, what's you see guys getting up to be pretty old. Some guys just get tired of college, but I, I think he might come back. And then we're still waiting to hear from Elijah Sullivan and Cody Fletcher, a couple senior linebackers, who if either of them decide to come back could uh, add some very important depth and uh, talent at that position. Okay. Hey, let's keep it on football. I, I was uh, interested in asking your opinion of the college football playoff lineup. We know Kansas State's not going to a bowl game this year. Uh, they, they announced that they were, would not go. Um, and I think that's a good decision. Long year for, for the Wildcats – and um, you know they've been going at it since since June when they got back on campus. So uh, K State not going to a bowl game, but the bowl lineup was announced along with the college football playoff lineup. And uh, we know the semifinals are going to be Alabama versus Notre Dame and Clemson versus Ohio State. I think the Clemson Ohio State matchup will be the the seventeenth in the seven year history <laughs> of the college football playoff. They seem like they play every year anyway. Um, the, the only real the only real surprise or intrigue going into that was who would end up at number four, maybe among Notre Dame, Texas A&M, and Cincinnati. What did you think of the outcome? Did the, did the college football playoff committee get it right? Oh, I mean, I, I'd like to say no. I mean, I just hate, hate to see the cookie-cutter system they have. It, it seems like there's only – six teams every season that have a realistic chance of getting into the playoff. And those are the teams they keep going with. So I, I just, I, I would prefer to see another team in there, the Notre Dame. I mean, historically has it ever worked out when a team gets just mauled in its last game and they still get the benefit of the doubt. It, it seems to me that that's not a very good sign for them moving forward. We saw it with Oklahoma when they lost a very famous game around these parts to Kansas state the big show championship game. The uh, old BCS committee didn't know what to do and said, all right, Oklahoma, you're still going to the championship game anyway. Well, they lost that game. Didn't look very good. Right. I think Nebraska, didn't they lose to Colorado in similar fashion? Um, did even, yeah, didn't even play in the Big 12 championship game yeah. and then got uh, got rolled by Miami in the in the national championship game. Right, right. So they weren't even Big 12 North champs, but they got to go play in the national championship game and lost big. So I, I think that's a bad sign. If you can't win your last game, especially against another team that's in the field on a neutral field, I don't – I would be very – I would much rather have seen Cincinnati or even Coastal Carolina, somebody A&M, anyone other than uh, Notre Dame in there. And I, I'm not thrilled about Ohio State either. I think you need to play more than six games. And it, it's just a shame that there's really not a, a great avenue for Cincinnati – teams like Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, or even a team like Oklahoma who uh, had some struggles early and then figured things out. I mean, what? why, why should they be completely disqualified – because of two losses months ago, um, if we were actually picking some teams that could actually compete with Alabama or Clemson, I would think Oklahoma would be right up there at the top the way they finished the year. So I, I, I'm hopeful. I, I'm, I'm sure you're with me. I'm hopeful that at some point we'll expand to eight teams and be more inclusive here. Um, but at least with this year, given the, te- the options out there, I would have liked to see Cincinnati instead of uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, I am with you on on the expansion to eight. I I just think if there was ever a year because of the unusual nature of this college football season where Ohio State just played six games and you know nobody played the same amount of games that you you could you know you could slide a Cincinnati or a Coastal Carolina into that fourth spot and you know made it a um, I, I think would have would have done a lot for. 
um, a feeling of inclusiveness in college football. It doesn't have that right now. What else could uh, Cincinnati have done? They 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 ran the table, right. won all their games, and and even that's not good enough. You know, against a team that had you know a bad loss in its final game, or a team that won six games. I'm not saying Notre Dame and Ohio State aren't two of the four best college football teams in the country. I'm just saying if there was a year that you could uh, sort of make an exception or you can justify putting in an 11-0 Cincinnati team, uh, th- this would have been the year to do it. But instead, you know, we've had – this will be the seventh year of the college football playoffs, so 28 different positions. They've been played by 11 different teams. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's uh, – it's wild, and I guess the the argument I would say to people who say, you know, oh, a, a team like Cincinnati or Coastal couldn't compete. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe Ohio State and Notre Dame are the the best teams, but I would say including teams like that has never hurt the NCAA tournament. Has anyone nope. cried? Did anyone cry when uh, UMBC beat Virginia? I mean, uh, nope. No. That was, uh, <laughs> that was, and, 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 and and Virginia even uh, benefited from that because they used it as motivation to the next year and won the national championship. So right, I mean, I mean, who was the better team? Virginia. If they played a hundred times, Virginia would come out the better team. But that that inclusiveness in the NCAA tournament makes it so special. People love Cinderella. I think it would go a long way for the sport if they would uh, expand and start letting some of those teams have a shot. Another another entity that did not uh, mind seeing that outcome was Kansas State, which <laughs> played UMBC instead of number one Virginia in the next game. Okay, Callis, we'll we'll pick up the basketball talk next week when uh, when, we, when we chat again. Great catching up with you, and have have a great holiday season. All right, same to you and all the listeners. Merry Christmas, everybody. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith, and now Todd Feedback. Thanks, Todd. Tip of the cap to Jesse Newell, Gary Bedour, Suichi Tirada, and Kevin Robin Eckford. Stopping by and talking college sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you, especially for those that want to deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. So how do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. You want more than just sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product, sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the e-edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at accounts.com kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and we'll get you to the right place. So whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sportsbeat KC. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday, with another episode.